Thank you, Kevin. Appreciate that prayer. Um, before we get started, while it's on my mind, so I don't forget, the uh, this is our last service like this, as far as uh, live streaming and so forth. We're going to go back to more normalcy, and we're we're going to, we're going to come forward for communion. We're going to start doing like that, like we did last time, and um, we're. We're segueing back into praise and prayer time, and uh, I think we're going to take past the plate for the offering again, probably next Sunday, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so this will be in the way. The sermons will be available as they always have been, thanks to Helmut Lerzer and others online. So if you miss it, you still have an opportunity, or if you're out of tune, out of town, you still have an opportunity. But this will be the last Sunday that we do live streaming. I just wanted to make that <clears throat> announcement. So we are in the book of 2 Corinthians, and we are in new territory in this book, chapter 2, verses 12 through 17. That's the text that I want to look at this morning. And the last passage, the Apostle Paul talked to the church of Corinth about forgiving the brother who had sinned against them. And we were just reminded of the importance between grace and truth. And that is that as believers, we, we, have, we have the potential to make two mistakes and we need to walk the, marrow, the narrow road. One mistake is to treat sin too lightly, as if to embolden it, as if to say there's no consequences to it, it doesn't matter. And the other temptation for believers is to be too harsh. And right in the middle is this line of grace and truth where we, by God's grace, because the Lord has forgiven us, we are able and encouraged and commanded to offer forgiveness to others. We are sinners and we have been forgiven. Therefore, we forgive others. Great advice for any marriage, for any friendship, for any siblings, and for any church. Not just a, a, a wise tip but literally a way to live our lives through forgiveness. Perhaps there's somebody you need to forgive in your life this morning. I pray God would lead you to do that. So we looked at that last time, and then Paul changes topics or subjects just a little bit, and he, uh, he shifts into gears about tough decisions that ministers or missionaries have to make sometimes when they're out in the field or when they're in the middle of uh, ministry. And he describes this and his life in picture form. So we're going to look at some metaphorical language or illustrations this morning. And we get a glimpse again into how the gospel has affected the Apostle Paul and how the gospel from God's perspective affects those who hear it. When we share it and when we preach it, a very powerful and practical passage. And you will recall that in this book, Paul does something that he does in no other book, and that is he talks about himself. He talks about himself more in this book. And you always get, you'll continue to get the impression with how uncomfortable he is about talking about himself because he wants to be humble and. There's nothing worse than somebody that just gets up there and talks about themselves the whole time. And yet, he needs to explain himself in a lot of different situations for their sake. It's not for his sake. 
It's for their sake. And every time he does this, we just like as New Covenant Fellowship, we just glean from this guy's life. We glean from how he loves God, how he makes daily decisions, how he feels about other saints and churches and his own sin and the own victories or the victories that he has in his life. And we're learning that, in a sense, that the one of the main themes in this book, as Paul shares his heart, is God's desire to reconcile the world. We just, it's like it's, it just keeps oozing out because that's Paul's heart. That's his ministry. It's what he's called to do. And that's what he's doing. And so this idea of reconciling the world through Christ, that is the message to the world, to all humanity. And we have it. So we will look at that this morning in this passage and get a glimpse into this servant's heart, his perspective, God's perspective in this age of salvation. We'll do something else a little different this morning. Rather than reading the whole passage, I think it's actually better in this case to just read a few scriptures and then expound it and then read a few more scriptures because it follows very neatly in this order. So 2 Corinthians chapter 2, 12 through 13, the Apostle Paul says this to the church of Corinth. When I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was opened for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and went on to Macedonia. Maybe Titus will be listening to this message this morning. He just turned what turns one tomorrow, right? Yep. All right, Titus. The real Titus. We have the real Titus with us this morning. So he, te- he, he took leave of his, the church at Troas and he went on to Macedonia. Now, this is to me an intriguing little piece of scripture here. And so my first point is an open door versus a restless spirit. <clears throat> so one of the biggest, biggest challenges, you know, that we have as believers, we, we probably do it every day of our lives, and that is we're constantly trying to discern God's will for our lives, right? Like decisions are important. We want to honor the Lord with our decisions. And so we're, we're always wrestling, trying to discern putting feelers out there, uh, looking for any kind of hope or light or open door, light of my path and so forth, to understand God's will for our lives. And we have God's explicit will can be found in His Holy Word. We're, We're reading it now. There are things that are unquestionable regarding what God requires of us, who He is, and so forth. So His will about... Uh, our state of lostness, about our need to repent of our sin. It's His will that we believe in the gift of Jesus Christ that offers salvation. It's it's His will that we we do everything to the glory of God. So there are explicit things that are unarguable. It's not a challenge to figure out. And then between all of the explicit things is our, our life, where... God doesn't tell us like every step to take every day. For instance, like exactly who to marry, you're not going to find the book. A book about who you should marry and, and what school you should go to and what house you should buy. We have 
the principles, explicit principles, and we, we pull all these into our hearts and our minds. We God's word, counsel from mature believers. We pray, we seek, we step out in faith. But we still, the point is, we still have to wrestle with explicit will, but also, well, what's going on in my life? What's going on with my family? What's going on in my heart? How about my physical health? All these things come into factor. So as believers, these are the kind of things that we have to wrestle with. And fortunately, Scripture does say God has a way of guiding us. He has a way of doing it. We don't always know that he's doing it, but he is. He's always guiding us in these things. Even when we're ignorant, even when we're confused, he's just a good God. But it's the times of struggle, I think, that are absolutely not by accident. I used to think as a young believer, God, just tell me to do what to do and I'll do it every time. And Christian life doesn't work that way. And it seems practical. It seems easy. You just tell me exactly what to do, what to buy, where to drive, who to visit, all these things. I'll just do it and everything will work out wonderful. And God doesn't work that way. Because God uses the times where we actually have to work harder to build our spiritual muscles. Because Christianity is a relationship. We have to work at relationships. They don't always come natural. I think it pleases God to see us labor in prayer. It pleases God for us to, to put all our senses on guard, to do everything we can to capture His will for our lives. These times and moments, times of quietness in our Christian walk, times of thinking uh, God must have lost His voice, or where did the Spirit go? Those are all used as God's tools to grow us. Sometimes we need harder things, not easier things. And that's why I personally find this passage intriguing. Because you have here, the Apostle Paul has like, like strong spiritual biblical guidance in the form of an open door of ministry. That's what he's supposed to be doing. He's called to minister. He's sharing the gospel. So he's doing this. He's, he's living out and obeying God's will. And yet, something doesn't feel right in his heart or what he calls his spirit. This is God's doing. It's an open door for me in the Lord. So he recognizes that he's in God's will. He recognizes that the ministry that's taking place, any fruit people that are growing, people that are believing in the gospel. This is God's work, and he is right in the middle of it. Uh, we, we have to receive God's blessing in our, in our ministry, and he's receiving it. Simon Kistemacher says, Preachers preach and listeners listen, but the effect of the spoken word depends on the Holy Spirit to lead people into the sphere of the Lord through conversion and faith. And this is what's happening. The Holy Spirit is working. God is Doing this, people are being established. How many times have we prayed as a church for open doors for ministry? I mean, we want open doors and opportunities for ministry, especially the month of July. We have vacation Bible school. We have guys retreat. We have girls retreat. There's just lots of things and opportunities going on. We want these open doors. Well, the Apostle Paul has one of these open doors. He probably has 
all the New Testament churches praying for open doors like the open door that he has. He's a career missionary called by God to preach the gospel, he says in Romans 15, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on somebody else's foundation. So he's a pioneer. He's a frontier. Or he's on the front lines like Noah there. Living out God's will. The command that Christ left with us was to go into all the, all the earth. To preach the gospel to all of the nations. So he gets this assignment and he fulfills it. And we don't all get that assignment. Some of us get the assignment to remain here, to support those overseas, to remain here and do the work of the ministry in our own community, as was prayed this morning. Uh, One of the things about serving the Lord is you will learn if you haven't already. When we come to Christ, we don't give him our assignment papers and tell him how we're going to serve him. He gives us our assignment papers. You will learn that if you have not already. So he's, Paul, by the way, is on a second missionary journey. So he walks through this open door, ministering in Troas, modern day Turkey on the west coast there. So there he is. Place I'd like to be where you see people coming to the Lord, you see fruit going on, your ministry is thriving, but something is not right. In his spirit, he's restless. And he's restless about one of his team members, one about one of his brothers in Christ. They minister together. Titus has been sent on a mission. You will remember, I've talked about the severe letter that the Apostle Paul sent to this church of Corinth because they were in sin. And he came down hard, and then he decided not to visit them in person in order to give the Lord a little more time to work. He didn't want to overwhelm them and intimidate them. But what he did do is send his good team member, Titus, there to check on them, to help them get straight, to guide them and lead them. Titus was supposed to go visit Corinth and then meet Paul in Troas. That was the plan. So Paul's texting Titus, where are you? He's not getting any response. And sometimes... That happens in our life, too. Some people just choose not to respond to their texts. They didn't have texting in that day. It was all by messenger and and so forth. So Paul's upset. He loves Titus, but he also wants to know how the church is doing. So he has this angst. In the midst of a fruitful ministry, he has this angst going on. This explicit will of God versus what's going on in his heart. So that is why he is restless. Now, I love this passage because it's not cut and dry. I like this passage because it's challenging. I like this passage because it shows how God can move and shift things in our hearts. It shows how God can use our Thoughts, our experiences and circumstances, in addition to what's there, to enable us or prompt us or move us to do different things. So it's not a nice and neat passage. And I like it because that's my real life. My real life and 
and, and my arduous work to try to make decisions, hoping to please the Lord is not always neat and tidy. Many times it's like this. What do I do with this feeling or this truth and this reality versus this one? And that's where Paul was. So I like to know that there are other saints that wrestle with these kind of things and have to make spur-of-the-moment decisions. That refreshes me on the fly. And I know many of you have had to make the same kind of decisions, on-the-fly decisions. Things come your way and you have to think, God, what do I do? And you make it and you go with it. You make the best of it. So even with open-door ministry, sometimes it's not easy. But here's, I think, the lesson in this. That God isn't just on the outside objectively with explicit will. When you become a believer, the Spirit of God lives in you. And that God is on the inside too. So it's not just the outside will, but it's God leading and guiding in here. He works with our mind, our heart, our emotions, our whole being, because God wants to capture our whole being. He wants our whole being in sync with him. And so this is going on, I think, in the Apostle Paul's life. We have not received the spirit of the world, he wrote to the, to the Corinthians, but the spirit who is from God. He also wrote to this very church, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that his spirit lives in you? So this is the Holy Spirit living on the inside of the Apostle Paul. Does he know for sure what he's supposed to do? It doesn't say. He just does it. He leaves. He's too restless to remain there. And... Was that the right decision? Well, we don't know for sure. It doesn't say it was the right decision or the wrong decision. He just does it, moves on, and Scripture just follows him along with his life. So not all ministry decisions, not all missionary decisions are clear. But it doesn't mean that we, we haven't heard from God or we're less spiritual. Uh, if we don't have all the, the feels and the answers that we want, we want to just purpose to continue to stay within the explicit boundaries that God has given us and step out in faith and wrestle with our relationship in that way. Explicit boundaries and internal boundaries. And by the way, it doesn't say here yet, but we'll find out a little later that Paul did find Titus in Macedonia on the way to Corinth. So they were reunited. He talks about Titus a lot in this book. So you see, if you're in one of those periods where you just really, it's not explicit, but you're having to trust God, be encouraged that God is in us. He's working through all the books we're reading, the songs we're listening to, the inclinations. He's a sovereign God. We don't have to fear these things. All we have to do is fear the sin in our own heart and follow Him. I think Paul's doing that in this passage. And as he goes, we get to find out what Christ does through him and through us. In our next point, what Christ does in verse 14, he says, But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. And through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. Now that sounds like a tremendous, upbeat, Victory chant verse. But is that really what Paul is communicating in this passage? 
So if you think about the times that he is talking about, and he's using metaphorical language, and there's two beautiful metaphors in here that Paul's using to explain what's going on in his life here on earth and also the spiritual effect it has, say, from heaven's point of view, the, the fragrance that it is to God. So what does he mean by this verse? Well, in the Roman world, you've probably heard this before, uh, you know, Rome was the ruling power at this time. Uh, they had a very powerful military, and they were, for the most part, just defeating any enemy, expanding their territory. And they were a, br- a brutal kind of people. And when they defeated the people, they would take them captive and they would march them back into the city uh, in chains or nakedness, anything they could do to absolutely show their power and to belittle these defeated tribes, people groups, whatever they were. And they were the, the heroes, the strong ones, and they, they would have a procession and they would burn incense and they made it a big deal so people could cheer them on with a ticker tape and so forth like we saw in the world wars. Something like that. It's a celebration of how great they are and how miserable, the miserable scum that they defeated don't mess with Rome. That's a triumphal procession. Now, it's great if you're a Roman. It's not so good if you're the one that's being led in this. And the Apostle Paul is actually referring to himself as the one being led. He's the one that was defeated by a greater power. God is leading him as the greater power, and he's following along as the, as the servant, uh, as the one that is at the, the, the victor's mercy here. Because in Rome, when you were led in this procession, you didn't know what your fate was going to be. You might be sold as a slave. Uh, you might be taken to the temple and offered to Jupiter as a sacrifice. Uh, you could just be slain publicly, publicly right there. It's slaughtered. This is how they treated those that they conquered. You did not know. And Paul is seeing himself as this kind of servant. He's a defeated servant, but he is willingly, as a defeated servant, seeing the greatness of his victor and following wherever he goes. Because wherever Christ goes, triumph goes. And Paul is following. So that's the main thought. In Colossians 2.15, you find the same thing. Talking about Christ, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. So that's Christ's victory over Satan and all the demons. It leads them in that train. They were no match for him whatsoever. Defeat, open shame. So following this train of thought, that's where Paul goes. John Piper says Paul was defeated and taken captive but he was brought to faith and forgiven and justified and made a glad and willing servant of the greatest general who ever was. Now, I like this because sometimes as believers, we forget that to come to Christ means we have been conquered. In what way? Our rebellion. To not be in Christ, to not bow the knee to Christ is to defy him. It is to say, no, I'm not listening to you. I'm not doing what you demand of me. I'm going to take what's mine and go and live my own life. 
It's rebellion. And Romans tells us that we are at enmity with God. It's not like you make this covenant on your terms. You you stay in your realm and I, I'll stay in mine and we'll get along just fine. That's not how the world works. If we are not in step with God, giving him the glory that he deserves, which is being reconciled through Christ to God, then we are rebels. To be saved means that he has conquered our rebellion. He has conquered our defiance. And we basically say, I was wrong. You were right. I follow you. My life is yours. I am at your mercy. You could have squashed me and you didn't. You brought me into service. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Now I want to obey you. And I want the defiance. The, 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 my salvation experience was the best fight I ever lost in my life. The best fight. And I've lost some fights. I've had the bloody nose and all that stuff, the swole line that's embarrassing and shameful to show up at school the next day and all that. Yeah, what happened to you? Coming to Christ was the best fight I ever lost in my life because he just caved me. But in doing so, he relieved me of the burden of sin. Look, sin looks fun, but all it does is like trying to swim with weights on in this world. And Christ freed me from that. The Apostle Paul says, I'm his servant. I willingly follow him. Look, we, when we come to Christ, we may fight for God, so to speak, in the spiritual realms. We may suffer for God, but we will all die in one way or another in Christ. Maybe in service. So Paul is following Christ and he is spreading his fame. That's what he's doing. I surrender to him. He conquered me. He's a great and mighty God. Nobody can defeat him and I want the world to know that. And then lastly, he talks about kind of heaven's perspective. What happens as he goes... Or as we go and just share the gospel in whatever form or fashion we may do that. 15 through 17. We are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one a fragrance from death to death. To the other a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word. But as men of sincerity as commissioned by God. In the sight of God, we speak in Christ. So this is the kind of the second picture. We got the, the triumphal procession of the Romans. But another thing is the aroma that takes place. And as I said, these subjected people would be marched through the city and they would um, burn or light spices so that there was a certain aroma. And it was the aroma of victory. You get used to that. Wow, I smell something. The, the general must have conquered another people. But it was the aroma of victory for the Romans. It was an aroma of death or slavery to those who had been conquered. We also know in the Old Testament, Paul kind of refers to this imagery as the sacrifices were what? They were a sweet aroma to God. They, they were offered in place of the sinner. And that, that merciful act, that substitutionary act was a sweet aroma to God. So Paul sees himself as marching in Christ's victory parade and he thanks Christ. And 
what he wants to do in his gratitude is spread this good aroma. What's the sweet aroma? The good news of Christ. It's the gospel. It's a sweet aroma. So whenever it's preached, whenever it's declared, he's not even talking about fruits right now or success. But he's saying when that word goes out, that's what the world needs to hear. And that's a good thing. It's sweet to God every time he hears the gospel shared or preached or lived. From heaven's perspective. Sweet aroma. So we tell what God did and who God is. And that pleases him. To one a fragrance from death to death, to the other a fragrance of life to life. You know, in Rome, it was the general who decided who lived or died. And I think Paul is grateful, and we should be grateful that God, what God has decided for us as we trust in Christ, that we get to serve Him in His kingdom. John Calvin says, The gospel is preached unto salvation, for that it is its real purpose. But only believers share in this salvation. For unbelievers, it's an accusation of condemnation. But it is they who make it so. Now, these are stark terms. Paul's just make, telling it like it is. You know what? When, when, the, when I preach the gospel, when the gospel's preached, there's going to be a glorious moment where some people are saved and they embrace God and they come back to their maker. It's a beautiful prodigal come home coming moment but there's also those that will not embrace it that will continue to stay in defiance and that's not a sweet aroma that's the continued aroma of death he puts it in no certain uncertain terms uh, to, to be to not be in christ is to be dead man walking as paul says in ephesians it's our rebellion i know we have it's easier tempting for us to think about ourselves as really cute and cool in the way we do life. But if we're not right with God, we are a stench. Our rebellion is a stench. Our evil is a stench. The decisions that we make in defiance to Him, that is a stench to Him. It is not at all pleasing to Him. The gospel divides humanity into two groups. Those that embrace Christ and those that remain outside the camp, so to speak. There's two different aromas that we're giving off right now to the living God. And there was a time when I gave the aroma of just one stinky mess after another. But thanks be to God in Christ. My life is accepted by God. Because Christ paid the penalty for me and clothes me in His righteousness. Gives it to me as an undeserved gift. So you have this powerful passage of what's going on in Paul's life. He just throws it out there. But look how profound it is that where we go as believers, we are carrying some kind of a... Well, if we're believers, we're carrying the aroma, the sweet aroma of Christ. If we're not, it's stinky. It's that stench in spiritual terms, stinking to the high heavens. So... I guess I'll just close like this. Be encouraged if you're a believer. This is what happens from a heavenly perspective when we share the gospel. God loves it. He's pleased. So let's be encouraged and bold as we prayed even during our time of worship to have this global mindset to not grow discouraged about the power of the gospel. 
But if we are not in Christ, I would say this morning to you, lay down your arms. Don't fight against him anymore. Maybe the Spirit of God is speaking to you this morning and you know he's true and you know he's real and he wants you in his kingdom, he tells us. It doesn't delight him that people perish. Lay down your arms. Don't fight against him anymore. Take it from me. It will not work. It just makes your life harder. You're only defeating yourself. Lay down your arms. Confess your sin. And join the ranks of a servant of the Most High God by the mercy of God. So we want to be encouraged to continue as a church to exalt the Lord. To edify each other. And yes, to evangelize the lost. Now let me just close with five things that John Piper uses to challenge us in this. uh, It's not another sermon within a sermon. It won't take that long. I know you're kind of... In verse 16, the Apostle Paul says, so who is sufficient for these things? Like, wow, that's powerful stuff. You're talking about life and death. Who gets to hear the gospel? Who doesn't get to hear the gospel? And the effect of those that do hear the gospel. For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. So there are no perfect ministers. There are no perfect missionaries. But... When we surrender to God, he changes our hearts. So Piper puts this in the form of five questions. Do you treasure Christ enough so that you do not peddle his word? Paul says we're not like many that peddle or peddlers of God's word. So that is these peddlers don't love Christ. They love money and use Christ. So first, do you love Christ more than money? Second, will you speak from sincerity? Will you be real? Will you mean what you say? Will you renounce all pretense and hypocrisy? Third, will you speak as from God? That is, will you take not only your commission from God, but your words and your authority from God? Will you speak His words and not your own? Will you speak His authority and not your own? Will you draw your strength and guidance from His power and from His wisdom and not your own? And then four, will you speak as before God? That is, will you reckon him to be your judge? And no man, will you care more about his assessment of your words and not be deterred by human criticism? And then lastly, will you speak as in Christ? Will you get your identity and your assurance and your confidence and your hope and your courage from your union with Christ. And he says there are no perfect missionaries. The answer to these questions should be, oh yes, Lord, as much as I know in my heart, that is what I intend to be. Help me to love you more than money, to be real, sincere, to speak your word, to fear no man, to get all I need from Christ. May God bless the preaching of his word this morning.